Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Nope. John Hines in for Shaletta. And I am uh, lucky to have a chance to fill in from time to time. And it times out really well. I don't know if... If they look at the schedule and think Brian Freeman's released another novel, might be time to get John Hines to come and fill in, uh, or, or vice versa, whatever. Or maybe Brian finds out I'm filling in and then releases another novel. I, however it works, it works for me. Uh, Brian Freeman, author of, first of all, the Jonathan Stride series, We Can Never Talk Without Somebody Sending a Text to 651-461-9226 without uh, saying, I love the Stride series set in Duluth, but so many more great novels, award winners, bestsellers to be sure. How are you doing this afternoon, Brian? I'm doing great. It's always great to be back with you. And uh, this summer, it kind of feels like there's a new book coming out every other week. So I'm glad we have a chance to talk here. (laughs) Well, wait, when's the next Stride novel coming? November 1st, November 1st, just just a couple months away. There's nothing in between. I know. I'm kind of slacking off a bit. Yeah, okay. I've only had two. I've only had two this month. So. All right. Well, here, here's the thing. When you and I last spoke, I made a mistake, uh, but I can I can explain why. Um, we talked about the novel, the standalone thriller. I remember you, and it. I'll come back to that. But I should have been talking to you at that time about the born sacrifice because that was coming out. Before I remember you, and for folks who don't know or haven't heard me talk about it before, Brian Freeman, who you can follow at uh, brianfreeman.com. Is that the best way? Or B. Freeman Books? No, B. What, B. Freeman, B. Freeman Books.com. All one word, B. Freeman Books.com. Okay, good. Um, but anyway, uh, the Born Sacrifice, which is part of the continuation of the tradition, the, the, the legacy, the heritage, the, the whole series that Robert Ludlum started so many years ago, and you have kept it up, uh, and I would say for most, I think most readers would agree with me, seamlessly. If you like the Ludlum novels, you will love what Brian Freeman is doing, the treatment that, uh, that you're giving to Jason Bourne as he goes forward. So uh, we should have talked about that, but I hadn't read it yet because I was just caught up in I Remember You, and so we didn't get to it. So let's, let's talk about, first, just briefly here, uh, The Bourne Sacrifice, which, you know, it starts out with Jason Bourne uh, kind of slinking about in the night skies of Iceland and ending up making his way to New York and, and without giving too much away, looking off in the distance at the end of the book for the next thing he needs to do. Uh, it's, how, how much of a thrill is it to keep this going and to have writers really appreciate what you're doing? You know, the writing the Bourne books has been so much fun. I mean, it, it's truly been some of the most entertaining writing I've, I've had a chance to do in my whole career. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, at first, I mean, this is my third Bourne novel. There was the, the Bourne Evolution back in 2020 and then the Bourne Treachery 
uh, last year, and now the Born Sacrifice is out. And and you know, in the early days, I was I was a little nervous because it's kind of an intimidating prospect to think about stepping into the shoes of you know a giant of the the thriller genre like Robert Ludlum and and such an iconic hero. Uh, like Jason Bourne. Uh, but, you know, I just had to remind myself that this is a it's an amazing opportunity uh, for, for a thriller writer. And uh, it, it uh, the first two words I wrote on my white, whiteboard were have fun. And, and I really have. I, I love being able to to put Bourne down in the middle of these all new plots, all new characters, sort of reboot the series from the ground up. And uh, and I've been thrilled by the reaction from readers. I mean, they've 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 just, you know, uh, taken up this this new take on Bourne. And uh, have, so many have told me that it's sort of like having Robert Ludlum back and that that's high praise well let me ask you I, I got to be careful here now when I get to the end of the born sacrifice and uh, Jason Bourne is talking and he is he's talking about a memory um, it, and you talk about whole new characters whole new you know area for Jason Bourne is he flashing on something from the past? Can you give us a preview? Do you know what's coming next? I'm stuttering all over this because I don't want to <laughs> wreck anything here, Brian. I, I, I do know what's coming next. In fact, I'm I'm already about 90% of the way through The Bourne Defiance, which is the fourth Jason Bourne novel that uh, that I'll be releasing next summer. And, uh, you know, it's it's the the thing about the thing about uh, Ludlum's creation of Bourne and and the fact that Bourne's a hero who lost his memory and sort of doesn't have any sense of who his real identity is that for a thriller writer that's kind of the gift that keeps on giving because you have this uh, this fog in his past and you just never know what what dangers are going to come creeping out of that fog at night. Well, at the same time, weaving in new characters, some of them more dastardly than uh than than those that jason Bourne has ever faced in the past so uh we can we we can visit that again further down here's what i want to do though because you had another book come out just this past week uh about the same time that i was getting in touch with you joining me here and that's the book that i referenced earlier which as i said on my facebook post i have read probably a dozen books in the last several weeks and this is without a doubt but the, my favorite the best uh, out of all of those that i have read with you know some due credit to authors that you know and that you actually have a connection to but let's do this let's take a time out and come back and talk about i remember you by brian freeman we'll talk about it with brian freeman when we continue at wcco Catching up with and keeping track of Brian Freeman here on WCCO. And just uh, a couple of days ago, uh, August 9th is when, I think I have that date, right? August 9th is when I Remember You was released. Uh, you, Brian, you mentioned, you know, the thrill, the fun of writing Jason Bourne and the fact that you get to continue to evolve this, put him in new situations, new uh, the protagonists to face and such. Uh, how much more fun is it to start with a clean slate completely? Nobody knows anything about when you're writing this standalone that nobody has ever heard before. How does that compare? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's always fun with my standalones is, uh, is, is because it's all new, uh, all, all new stories and characters. Uh, and, and I can really kind of take 
some some interesting, fun risks with my standalones and uh, take readers in directions uh, they they may not expect. Um, and it's 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 been fun because uh, you know having these books come out pretty closely together. It, in some ways, it's like pivoting from you know Robert Ludlum over to Michael Crichton because uh, uh, Publishers Weekly actually compares I Remember You to the to medical thrillers uh, that Crichton used to write. Wow. And uh, this is this is one of my this is one of my favorite stories. It's uh, it's about a young woman named Hallie Evers, uh, whose heart stops. uh, And when she's revived and she wakes up in the hospital, she finds herself haunted by memories that seem to come from someone else's life. And uh, so that's that's how all the twists and turns begin. Exactly. Now, let me tell you about, because this is a book that I read just nonstop. I mean, I read uh, as late as I could. I didn't want to be fogging on anything that was going on. So I would put it away when it was time to to get some sleep, but pick it up again when my mind was clear uh, with with Hallie Evers. But it goes from Las Vegas to to Boston and the stories that happen uh, along the way, the story itself, because you had me believing that what happened to Hallie is something that is possible. Now, had you, had you ever heard of anything like this before? We hear about people maybe with a transplant or something, and they, they feel that there's some memory from the, the previous person who was the donor of an organ or such, but this is a memory. This is a brain. These are not a memory, a whole series of memories, Brian. Have you ever heard of anything like that before? Yeah, that's one of the fun things about doing research for these books is is you kind of get to see get a sense of of where the science is going and uh, then you can uh, kind of take it out to a dramatic extreme. Uh so for example, there's a a reference in the book to uh, some research being done in in Russia actually where uh subjects were shown photographs and then the computer tried to replicate those photographs just based on their brain waves and uh, you can look it up online and it's 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 awfully creepy and uh, as as you look at that when you're a thriller writer you think well you know how how would you spin that out and and what what's the potential dark side to this kind of technology well, you know, because you, you always seem to have a potential dark side in there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have apparently I have a new nickname. Kirkus Reviews called me Fiendish Freeman after this book came out. So <laughs> ah, well, it fits. It fits for sure. Um, and I hope that they gave it a good review because it it truly is a good book. And and I would love to say it's a great summer read, but you won't have much time. Uh, you won't spend a lot of time. It's not something that you will stretch out over the summer. This is a book that you will read and and devour uh, without a doubt it's just one that you will go through like that but it is a it is a great story who do you get to read brian you have to be i think i've heard this before from other novelists they have to be careful who they read or what they're reading so that nothing that they have picked up on would show up somewhere else they could be accused of borrowing from someone else who do you get to read yeah, you know, that's 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 always the the challenge when you write suspense all day long. Uh you know, curling up with somebody else's suspense novel at the end of the day kind of starts to feel like work, you know. It's uh, I I read someone else's thriller and, and instead of it being an entertainment, I think, "Oh, I like that. I think I would have done that differently. Oh, I see where he's going with that." Uh so I I learned a long time ago that I I really generally can't read uh, a lot of mysteries and thrillers. So I, I read these days much more nonfiction and history and biographies. And uh, But you know what they say, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. I, I actually pick up a lot of interesting ideas about people uh, just by reading nonfiction. And uh, so that, that, that kind of stuff ends up sort of pouring into my own work, too. 
Well, that's kind of scary in itself. It, it, yeah, it is the fact that it's like, yeah, this this could happen possibly. So, you know, thinking about this and thinking about I remember you and Hallie Evers and such, and I told you this before, that there are certain things. This is one of the reasons why I like to be reading when I am at home and my, my PC is right there or my phone, whatever, that I can go to it. You reference something in a book and I can go to it and say, especially some of the musical pieces that you reference. And there was one that just jumped up at me or jumped out at me and I had to go listen and it was exactly as I had pictured, pictured it. And that was the uh, Rachmaninoff uh, number three that uh, the, the Halle Evers character was playing, or the, the, the character's memory was playing in her head for her. Just to, And it's, it's neat to go and do that and to, to see what, this is what the author was thinking of. This is kind of the thing that the author heard or saw. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think that adds kind of a little extra layer to the enjoyment of the book. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell your listeners a little secret, too. A lot of times I'll, I'll reference songs uh, in my books. And a lot of times, if you go and check out the lyrics to the song, you might actually find a little clue about what's really going on in the book. So, Oh, no, don't tell me that now. Now I've got to pay even closer attention. <laughs> I've got to pay because somebody else who references music quite a bit, and I know he's a contemporary of yours. He's even mentioned your books in his books. That's uh, David Housewright in his Rushmore McKenzie series. But uh, he references music uh, a good deal as well. But I truly love it because this is the other thing that you do. And I, I really think you are immersed in these places. I know that you know Las Vegas somewhat. Um, but the whole idea of, of Boston and the way that you described everything from down in the harbor, down at the waterfront and such, to all the scenes and all the places and, and up to the, uh, to the seaside cliffs where there was so much going on, you really immerse us in those places by your own background, your own information, your own knowledge of those places. Yeah, I love to give readers that you are their feel uh, when you're reading one of my books. I want you to feel as if you've been dropped down into every scene, kind of like an invisible observer, and you can hear it and touch it and taste it and smell it and feel it happening all around you. Because I think that sense of place really enriches the drama of a thriller. You know, when I'm reading uh, the Jonathan Stride novels, I'm getting off the track here, chatting with Brian Freeman. We're talking about I Remember You, which just, by the way, is typical Brian Freeman, if I can say this, where it just starts out uh, with just a grabber right up front, uh, which is, as a reader, I love it. But um, when, when I am reading your books like uh, the Stride novels, I am literally in the car driving with stride around the streets of Duluth. I don't know them as well as he does or as well as you do, but certainly, but it is, you really do give the, the reader that, that sort of you are there feel. Yeah, that's and uh, be, be, again, that sense of place is so important in thrillers, and and I think for readers that know the area, I, I think that adds that extra little thrill too. So you know, uh, folks in Minnesota who are reading my books and, and reading the, the Duluth-based Stride series, I mean, so many of them can can read the various scenes and go, oh, I know exactly where that is. 
But you find out, too, though, as you travel and you travel all over the country, uh, you find out as you travel that other people that the fact that it's set in Minnesota, it's set in Duluth, most often in a cold environment. But when you are, are, are writing these things and other people are reading them, it doesn't matter if it happens to be Minnesota in Duluth or Duluth, Minnesota, that they identify with these places as well. Have you ever found anybody who has, um, like, fiction traveled, come to these places you've referenced just to see what you were seeing? That does happen from time to time. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the the Duluth uh, the Duluth Tourist Bureau is probably uh, happy about the books, despite you know my my raising the fictional crime rate up there quite a bit. Because uh, yeah, I hear from a lot of readers that, that you know suddenly put Duluth on their vacation schedule because uh, they want to go see where all these things in Strive's life happened. Now, okay, then here's the next question. Uh, again, I, this is just part of the uh, uh, the hungry consumer here. Are you going to go back to Frost Easton? Are you going back to San Francisco anytime soon? I sure want to. You know, I, I wrote three novels in the Frost Easton series, uh, The Nightbird and The Voice Inside, which won the Minnesota Book Award, and, and then The Crooked Street. And I kind of left Frost in perilous straits at the end of The Crooked Street. Uh, but uh, my publisher was really excited about doing some standalones, and uh, that's where uh, Infinite and Thief River Falls and now I Remember You have come from. And we've done so well with the uh, with the standalone novels that uh, I, I, I don't want to appear ungrateful and say, yeah, I want to get back to Frost and see what happens next. You know, and we should mention the deep, deep snow, which was also just, uh, um, I know so many people just absolutely enjoyed that. You're no stranger to the cold, are you? No, no, that's that's true. I, I, I like to uh, I like to make my characters freeze a little bit, but, uh, but we're all we're all pretty accustomed to that here in Minnesota. Well, yes, it's it's not anything new <laughs> in in that regard. So, so many good things now, and you are you have a stride novel completed, just waiting for release in November. Yep, that's right. The Zero Night is the eleventh in the Jonathan Stride series, and it's it's been a couple of years now since Stride has been back in Duluth. So uh, I, I know a lot of readers are are hungry to get a new Stride novel in their hands. So November first, the Zero Night will be out. All right. Well, people who are listening now will be making a note of that for then. I, it was so nice to see so many great comments regarding I Remember You from all the folks uh, who wrote on your Facebook page, or maybe it was Marsha's Facebook page, The Author's Wife. That's, that's Marsha. Um, and every book is dedicated to her. But she gets the first read, uh, and I get somewhere down the road a piece. Maybe you're giving them to me too far in advance because I'm screwing up the order of these. First, we've got the born sacrifice, and then comes, uh, and both great, great stories, although night and day apart, absolutely two different, completely two different stories, Brian. Do you, do you ever have to be careful about overlapping a story? Well, you know, not really because they are so different. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy from a creative standpoint. Is that it really gives me a chance to go in totally different directions. So I put down a Bourne novel and, and pick up a standalone like I Remember You or a, a Stride novel. And uh, they're, they're such different stories and characters that uh, it kind of that's what energizes me. Do you sometimes when you go to your writer's room, do you just stare at a wall until oh, here's a thought? 
Let's, how, how do you, where do you begin? Where do you begin? It's like somebody said, how do you sculpt an elephant? Well, you take a large block and chip away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. Uh, how, where do you begin with a novel? Can you share that for some of us who are, who would like to one day be able to write, but don't have the skill set? Yeah, sure. You know, it, uh, I, I, I kind of keep a file of, of themes and ideas and characters and things that just strike me as interesting that might find their way into a book one day. And uh, a lot of times they have nothing to do with each other. But when I start thinking about a new novel, I kind of pour all those out and start looking for threads and connections. And suddenly something that I thought was interesting uh, in, in one area ends up combining with something completely different. Uh, and you, you put the things together and, and it's uh, suddenly you start to see the plot take shape. And uh, that was really true of, of I remember. You. I mean, when I started uh, working out the plot, I sort of had a completely different idea of where the story might go. And, and then uh, I came upon a little factoid about, uh, uh, about how people were trying to map out uh, uh, memories in the brain. And suddenly I, I put those things together. I was like, oh, well, I could, I could take the story in this direction. And that's when things started to come together. Well, you did, they, and they really did come together. I said this at the outset, uh, and it's on my Facebook page. Um, out of the dozen or so books I've read lately, it is absolutely the best, top of the uh, top of the list for me. And I so easy to recommend. I remember you by Brian Freeman. Find it at bfreemanbooks.com uh, and anywhere where books are sold. And before that, go back and check out the Born Sacrifice, so you don't miss what's coming next because. He remembers, uh, and I don't even want to say any more about what that means. You'll figure that out for yourself, or Brian Freeman will figure it out for all of us. Brian, always a, a pleasure. Thanks for the conversation again on this Saturday here on WCCO Radio. Thank you, John. We'll talk to you soon. It is, um, what is, what am I looking at here? Two or one thirty, one thirty-two. Somebody says, do you need to read his books in order? Absolutely not. But it's not a bad idea to read like a series, like the Stride series. It's not a bad idea to, to kind of go with those in order. You get an idea the way the character evolves and the way people have come into and gone from his life so that you're up to speed. But a, a good author, a skilled author, a talented author uh, like Brian uh, will subtly give you recaps along the way, which is good. The same with the Frost Easton series. Uh, but now the, the nice thing is he's got so many of the standalones with I Remember You and so many others. So uh, you, you can pick up any one of those. at any Spilled Blood was another award winner. So, so many great, great uh, stories. It's um, 133 News Talk 830 WCCO. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Today is International Left-Handers Day. John Hines in for Shaletta Brundage. Uh, today is International Left-Handers Day. To sort of recognize, I guess, to think about, to discuss the uh, plight of the left-handed in this world, there's a fair percentage 
Uh, what did I read? The percentage was something like 13% in this country, and the U.S. has one of the highest percentages of left-handers. And I suppose we will continue to because among some of the facts that goes with this is that if an individual is left-handed, then the person will pass the gene along uh, to other uh, generations, coming generations, maybe not the next generation, but somewhere along the way to other people that will uh, make them left-handed dominant. If you are left-handed dominant, then you are right. That comes from your right brain. I think that's the way I read this. If you know anything about left-handers, feel free to text it and share it with me here at 651-461-9226. I mean, I've known a number of left-handers in my life. Really good friends. Left-handers on a pitcher's mound are highly sought after. A guy who can hit, uh, I'm sure the same men or women who can bat from the left side of the plate, also highly sought after. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's it's neat to have that on your staff, on your pitching rotation especially. They used to refer to, I think the top five pitchers uh, in Major League Baseball includes the like of um, uh, Warren Spahn, of course, uh, Randy Johnson, Clayton Kershaw, and the one that they referred to as the left arm of God, Sandy Koufax. So, I mean, just among others, I mean, some of the, the top left-handed pitchers, Sandy Koufax, who has just uh, was, I think, you know, the first day he wanted to, he went into the uh, uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Again, 651-461-9226. If you're a left-hander, what's the biggest issue that you have? Let me share some more here about left-handers. They say that um, during the left during the Middle Ages, the left-handed were often suspected of witchcraft and accused of being in league with the devil. Interesting to note, Jimi Hendrix the great guitarist, played guitar left-handed. His father, when he was learning guitar, tried to force him to switch because he thought left-handedness was the mark of the devil. And he was able to, to rise above. Paul McCartney played left-handed. If you look back and think about when you saw the Beatles on stage, John Lennon over here, George Harrison in the middle, and with his guitar or his bass guitar going the other way, Paul McCartney. How about this? Ringo Starr playing a right-handed drum kit, the way they were arranged, but playing, he was left-handed as well. So 651-9226, if you are a left-hander, call in if you want. What is the biggest issue you face with left-handedness? There are some uh, various uh, connections to left-handed folks when they talk about why in Europe they drive on the left side of the road, or some parts of Europe anyway, like uh, the, the, the British countries, and in Ireland for that matter. Very scary to me, riding with my son on some of these roads, not much wider than an alleyway in South Minneapolis, but two-way traffic on them. And he's driving a manual transmission, shifting with his left hand down there. It's, 
I drive a manual transmission now, but I could never, I don't know if I could ever master doing it from the other side. Future kings of England, Prince Charles and William, are both left-handed. King George VI was left-handed, but was forced by his father to learn to use his right hand. You know, I hear about this from time to time, that there were children growing up in school, especially when they came time for them to learn to write, especially when it was time to learn to write cursive, because you were dragging your left hand through what you had written in many cases. But so that teachers, this is a, seems to me a, that it was a thing at St. Helena's where I went to school that some of the nuns there would try to, you know, force the left-handed students to write right-handed. So what's your experience with being left-handed? You can share that with us via text at 651-461-9226. A list of some very famous left-handed people. I mentioned Jimi Hendrix. I mentioned uh, uh, Paul McCartney, John Kennedy Jr., Winston Churchill. Here, Neil Armstrong, not only famous left-handed person on Earth, but uh, the first left-handed person on the moon. How about that? Let me talk to Pete from Roseville here. Hey, Pete, how you doing this morning or this afternoon on WCCO hey, Radio? John. Are you are you a Southpaw? Hey, John, I am. And so was my dad and so was my brother. My dad, when he went to grade school, the uh, teacher actually uh, took a ruler and smacked him on the hand and made him uh, made him write with the, the right hand. So he actually became ambidextrous. You so, know, uh, he could write what, with both hands. What, what you're saying there is, um, uh, Pete, that, and this is truism, that many people who are left-handed because they're living in a right-handed world um, are, more, are more likely to be ambidextrous, not just with writing but with other skills. Now, right, as a left correct. as a left-handed person, do you have any? Have you ever used a, a left-handed can opener? No, I have not. Actually, they, what uh, my biggest thing was, especially in grade school, and when I was writing papers and that sort of thing, the ink would smear all over the, the left hand, and so, <laughs> so the documents and that. I have to even watch that now, John. That when I'm uh, writing out, say, a document it needs my signature that I make sure that I don't smear the document. Yeah, be careful out there. Be careful. In my hand. How about a scissors? Do you ever find yourself picking up a scissors and, and turning it over because it's, yeah. Yeah. you know, Especially nail clippers. Yep. Oh, a nail clippers. No. Now, here's one of the things I, I learned, though. Interesting for me, anyway, that um, with with a, a potato peeler, the old-fashioned peeler, that if I use one that a left-handed person uses, it's much sharper the other way because they were always going with the other one, you know, with the from the other side. So uh, it's nice to be able to share that. Uh, here's a text that hey, Pete, thanks for the call in too. Anytime, call anytime six five one four six one nine two two six. Here's a text that says in the late 60s, 
teachers made us lefties use these plastic padded scissors, which were impossible to cut paper accurately, so we'd get teased at how bad we were. I suppose, yeah, some of that teasing would per- persist. Neil's with me from St. Uh, is it St. Paul, Neil? Is that right? That's right. Well, you're, are you uh, left-handed? Short story. Back in, when I graduated high school in 55, I joined the Air Force. My career in the Air Force was meant to be an engineering draftsman, so they sent me to the engineering school for drafting at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, just, just across from D.C. And uh, all of the drafting equipment is made for right-handers. Oh, boy. Were you able to adapt to all of that, uh, you know, and overcome? That's a good word, adapt, because I had to learn to do everything, some of it backwards, but I had to finish and be as correct as all the right-handed guys. And I was the only left-hander of 72 people in the class. But I made it through and went through four years of that, ended up uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and made my college money by being a draftsman with architects, so it did work, except there was a general who tried to change everything to the meter system, metric system. Yeah, yeah. In America. <laughs> I think he was from England, but that, did, that didn't work. So. Yeah, yeah, and I that... came here, and I met a young fellow who did nighttime radio. He was a teeny bopper at the time. I think it's you. Oh, that could be. Well, welcome. Thank you for that. Neil, I appreciate your calling in. And I started to mention this before, but uh, Neil Armstrong... Uh, was left-handed, first man on the moon, second man on the moon, Buzz Aldrin, was also left-handed. So it's it's a lot going on there. You know, there are some places they said that, uh, I think there is a particular clan in Scotland where they raised people to be... Um, uh, left-handed and to sword fight left-handed. One of my favorite scenes from Princess Bride was the uh, duel between Inigo Montoya and the Dread Pirate Roberts where they're having this monumental sword fight, tremendously skilled swordsman. And Inigo Montoya says, but I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed. And he switches the sword and fights equally well, no, better yet, from the, his right hand, and which, to which the Dread Pirate Roberts announces, oh, I'm not left-handed either. So uh, cool stories there that go with all of that. Hey, let me get a quick time out here. Any other uh, left-handed stories you want to share? Anything cumbersome, anything like that? Do it. Uh, 651 461 9226. I'll put you on. I'll share your text message as well. Thanks for being in touch here at News Talk 830 WCCO. We're back here. Before I run off the clock, I want to make sure I say thanks, Carrie Clatt, for all of your help today. You said your husband's left-handed, but he um, he golfs right-handed? Uh, he correct? golfs left-handed. He throws a baseball with his right hand. He changes it up, but it's mostly left-handed. Okay. Does he, does he appear to be ambidextrous? Uh, he can juggle. We can, we can both juggle. Uh, I mean, we can, yeah, he does. <laughs> we too. Uh, well, that'd be fun to see. All right. <laughs> here's, here's a text that says I'm left-handed. So is my father, two of my uncles, several male cousins. I'm the only woman in my large family left-handed. And she said, yes, definitely a right-handed world, but you learn to uh, overcome like with a can opener or things of that nature. So just do it right-handed. 
adapt and overcome. Um, we have uh, left-handed grandchildren. It's impossible to find toy golf clubs, hockey sets. Uh, same with ball gloves. I went to a small country school. The uh, education director would come to school, spend most of the day trying to get me to write right-handed. Oh, wow. That would kind of put you off of it just a little bit. All right. Hey, I'm out of time. Thank you, everybody who was a part of the show, everybody who was on the show with me. Uh, Shay Sandiver, um, uh, Greg Coleman, and, of course, Brian Freeman and Kerry Klatt. Thank you so much for all of your help and your efforts. Uh, Shaletta Brundage back next week in a replay of the governor's discussion back and forth with Scott Jensen from FarmFest coming up next. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.